When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, my homie? Welcome back to part two of the incredible manipulation revelation that actually rhymes, and I love it. We're doing that today with my girl, psychologist Marielle Bouquet. Losing time and energy to wondering if you're crazy or if you're just imagining things because your toxic significant other is constantly painting a distorted picture of you. Are they breaking your confidence and damaging how you feel and see yourself? Well, my homie, I've got part two of this conversation with Marielle for you that's going to freaking blow your mind. Starting with the idea of holding a relationship funeral to make sure toxic exes stay just that, toxic ex in your past and non-existent in your future. So let's get straight to part two with my girl, the psychologist Mario Bouquet on Women of Impact. So how do we tune in? What is that first step? Because assuming that you have to unwire so many years Mm -hmm. of not tuning in, you know, or ignoring it. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, tuning in, it is a practice, but it just starts with sitting in silence. How many of us actually do that? How many of us not, like, sit in silence and maybe, like, scroll through our phones, mm-hmm. but really sit in silence and look at the room that we're in and be present and mindful and connect to how we're feeling and, like, any of the sensations that that we feel inside of our bodies, it literally takes us like 30 seconds to 60 seconds to just offer ourselves a tune in. Like it's not something that needs to be like elaborate. It's just something that we can do for a few seconds a day. And it can be a really good practice to help us to get into the flow of understanding our bodies better. So it's as simple as that. I mean, it can be more elaborate in that we can sit and meditate for, you know, like 20 minutes and like have real body attunement and do body scans and, you know, like maybe do like some muscle relaxation, you know, practices with it. And then there's a lot more that, you know, we can probably tap into as far as like our body knowledge. But really all it takes is just a 30 second like moment to just pause and reflect and think, what do I feel? So when you write down, what do, you, what do I feel? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, my gut feels like it's in a knot. Mm-hmm. How do you then take that into action with everything that we're talking about, with identifying what in your life is giving you that knot? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Like I, I dated someone with whom I felt like I could never go to the bathroom. I, my stomach was frozen. And I was like, why is it that I, you know, usually like when I would get home, like I would actually be like, oh, okay, I need to use the bathroom, but never around this person because my stomach was always in knots. Yes. (laughs) As in like a bowel movement. Yes, I couldn't like, and so my stomach was telling me like, you're too tense around this person. They don't feel good to you. They make you feel unsafe. And so I had to tune into my body and say like, my body is literally saying, I'm home, I'm safe. I can now use the bathroom. And it, it like, it's literally in things like that. I also had an experience where, you know, I mentioned this to you like previously where I was engaged and it, during my entire engagement, I broke out in hive. 
And my entire body was saying, no, this is not the one. This is not the person for you. And as soon as I took off my engagement ring, the highs went away. Mind you, I like went to so many different specialists about these hives and like trying to get answers about why is my body responding this way? It was responding to the person that was closest to you. All right. So t- take me through that because yeah. I remember you telling me the story, but we never mm-hmm. really went deep. So because to your point, you got hives, you're like, oh, it must be cream that I'm using. Yeah. It must be the air. Mm-hmm. I must have allergies. How on earth did you then realize it ended up being because of your engagement? I realized that when I took the ring off and I gave it to him, and then the next day I literally... Oh, so you didn't realize that was the reason? No, but I knew, I knew that this person made me feel uneasy. Like I felt, I felt overwhelmed every time I was around him. However, like I made the decision not knowing that the hives were connected. But when, when I took the ring off, I was like, this is mind blowing. Like our bodies respond to people. They respond to our environments. And my body was literally telling me, like, you are unwell. There is a toxic element of this relationship that's literally manifesting in your body. You need to let it go. Wow. And did it start when you got engaged? And um, I'm not sure how comfortable you are talking about it. Was he a toxic person? Absolutely. He was actually someone that when I actually went into my doctoral journey in grad school, when we started going through the diagnostic manual of narcissism, I was like, no way, no way. I actually talk to my sister about this all the time. Like, I'm like, I couldn't believe that I didn't have that knowledge. Like, I feel like everyone should know what narcissism looks like, what manipulation looks like, the ways that these people like hoover into your life, how they suck you into cycles. We should all feel some sort of protection from these kinds of experiences and relationships. I had no idea. And this person was in my life for years. So they basically like believe themselves to be like above everyone else. And he would always like talk down to people, talk bad about people. And then that quickly turned into talking bad about me or talking down to me, right? Because it's like anybody who can be a target, right? Um, He would often like, use any kind of power that he had, including like, for for example, like he had like a lot of money and he would use that, that money power in order to um, almost kind of like manipulate the people around him. Like, for example, he would give money to his mother who was more elderly, but whenever she wouldn't do something that he would want, he would actually take the money away. And so he would utilize the power that he had to inflict pain or to to withdraw love. Um, I mean, it, it was just like he did so many things. I it, it it was to me, it felt like when I realized that all of these things were part of this characteristic of narcissism, I was like, I wish to never go back into something like this. I must know this through and through and equip myself with how this can show up in my life, know the signs and make sure that I am protected, but that I also help other women to protect themselves because it can leave a lot of like deep, deep wounds that you have to fix for a long time. It took me years to actually get out of the the fog of that relationship. And it and that's the case for a lot of us. Once you left, it took you years? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that why you believe um, naming things is so important? Because was it in naming that he was a narcissist that allowed you to the light bulb go off for you to then leave him? 
Well, I wish that I would have had the word gaslighting. I was gaslit so much in that relationship. Had I known, had I actually had the power to say, that's gaslighting. My version of the events is not your version of the events. And you know what? That's okay. But instead, I was like, am I, am I making this up? Is this like really what happened? Well, he says, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm always like in, in La La Land and I don't really like take notice of what's happening around me. Like, is that really how I am? Is that my true self? Is he seeing my true self or do I know my true self, right? Like it's like in all of those things. Now I know, I know not to, you know, I, I, I can really spot the signs, right? Like, and I, I guess it really helps that I'm a psychologist too, but, um, but just for my own sake, I can understand how a person is trying to get to a place where they're berating me in that way or gaslighting me or trying to, you know, um, manipulate me in any way. And I can actually protect myself. And that's what I want for a lot of women. I want that for all of us. I, I don't want us to have to suffer in this way from people who haven't done the work to actually carve out their own wounds and then inflict the wounds upon us. Mm, yeah, God. And your work is so beautiful and the value you bring is just profound. Um, I'd love to know, if you don't mind again, mm -hmm. um, sharing how did you end up leaving him? What were the things that you said to him? Because the, a lot of my audience have had either toxic or narcissistic relationships and they have just, it has broken them to their core. Mm -hmm. And um, some people are still in that and they don't know how to leave. Yeah. You know, having a community around you that can actually help you to transition from these relationships is critical. More often than not, we think we are going to leave the relationships just on our own. And Typically, you know, with people that feel like their power is being taken away, they can get violent. And it's going to be really important for you to have people around you that can keep you safe, but also help you to feel connected and loved in the ways that this person did not. That's some of what I did. So I actually got my family together and I actually like relayed the message with my family because I didn't want this person to become violent or to, you know, lash out at me because I could see he had some of those tendencies. And so I, I rallied up my community and I said, you know, this isn't working for me. I don't want you in my life. And this engagement is over. And I was able to part, but with community with me. I think that's really critical and important. And so you did it with your family there? Yeah, I did. And another thing that I intuitively did, which I... And, and, and I know a lot of psychologists also recommend this too, which is really important to do is to, to keep record of things. I actually kept a record of like giving the ring back and I, mm -hmm. you know, and like things that I knew that he was going to try and come after me for. Uh, and so I was like, you know, he's, he's someone that has the tendency to say, you never gave me the ring back, you owe me money. And so I didn't want that to be the case. So I actually like recorded the entire process. And, you know, and it, it's really, it's, it's sad that we have to go to such great lengths to protect ourselves, but it's more important to feel safe and protected than to feel like, you know, this person could actually violate you yet, yet again. So I, I always think, you know, like keep record, whether it's written record of what transacted, what you did, how you parted ways, if you live with the person, how you, you know, divvied up, like, furniture or how you like, you know, took them off the lease and things like that. And then also to have community around you to really help you to feel safe and protected. You said that you, um, you it took you two years 
basically two years to kind of come out of that fog. What did that two years look like in that healing process? Because I've actually heard you talk about having to grieve toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. I believe that, and this is something that I did not knowing that I was doing it, but then I started adding language to it once I became a clinician. But I believe that we have to literally attend the funeral of the people that we exile out of our lives. Like we literally have to mentally map out like the our process of like going to their funeral and or writing out like what it means to have that loss and to to no longer have them in our lives and to completely literally close the casket because otherwise like we're leaving open even in our own minds opportunity them you know like being able to contact them like there's so much that can happen when whenever we're not like closing that chapter and like really like sealing it in um, that can be to our detriment. So I actually like even my clients, like I walk them through the process of like we're attending this person's funeral. Is it literally like you wear black and everything? <laughs> I don't wear black. Oh, that is genius. So I'm I like, might. Literally imagine it. <laughs> I haven't done that, but I, I love the imagery. But no, it's really like, you know, like a um, an imagery based meditation, like we're going into the funeral home and like, you know, just like really walking us through. And people get really, really emotional because often people also have a lot of love for these people. Uh, and so there's a lot of complex emotions and complicated grieving that's happening in that process. But we're processing it. We're, we're going through the motions. We're going through all the emotions, all of it, right? The shame that you experience from having stayed too long, the sadness that you experience from losing the loving parts of that person, the anger that you have at yourself or, you know, like, like even becoming toxic at certain points in the relationship yourself, right? Like all of it. We're processing it, but we're processing it by also ending that chapter. Yeah, God, that's such a... Um complex way to think through the issue because I can imagine there's more shame in feeling like you miss them mm -hmm. even though you know that they're toxic or a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Yeah and people start to wonder what about them even you know attracted this person what about them uh, made it so that uh, this person acted the way that they did and we have to oftentimes remember that yes there may have been characteristics that you have like sensitivities and things like that that could have made you perhaps in their eyes an easy target but their behavior is never your fault it is always reflective of a character flaw in them and never really a character flaw in you so you said two years mm -hmm. how often do people have that long-term negative impact on their psychology from being with somebody who is constantly manipulating them or being around people like that? More often than not. And people sometimes, I've actually had one client that was healing for almost two decades from a two-decade relationship. So it took her literally the same amount of time that she was in the relationship to heal from it. Mm. And some of the wounds can be so, so deep. Um, but some people, they're able to move on and move into healthy relationships. However, you know, it, it, it all, it varies. It varies. But what I have seen in my work is that most people take months to years to actually do the healing work. And it can be really, really heavy, but sometimes necessary to take those years. 
If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Yeah. And actually going back to your the funeral analogy, I just love it so much. Um, do you do you think in doing that funeral and closing that book, like you said, eliminates the possibility of them trying to come back into your life and love bomb you um, and hoover you back? It doesn't eliminate that possibility because that's a behavior that's enacted by them. But what it does is that it allows you to go back into that imagery and say, this person is no longer alive to me. Like they're not present. There's, you know, when you close a casket and bury a person, like you don't exhume them and like, you know, like relive your life with them. Right. And so like, that's why the imagery is so powerful because it allows you to like, to, to go back into your understanding that that's it. That's the end. Yeah, it eliminates your op- possibility of going back to them. Exactly. And and responding to their hoovering efforts or to the manipulative tactics to get you back in mm. into their lives. What about then loneliness? Because I know that that can be actually quite a big um, draw into why people may, I mean, again, I'm just going to speak for myself. When I was with my ex-boyfriend, it was the fact that then I felt so lonely. 
mm-hmm. once I left him. And then I would replay all the great stuff. It wasn't all the bad stuff I would replay. It was all the amazing moments. That one time that he took me to that one restaurant, you know, like mm-hmm. on my birthday. Um, how do we prevent ourselves from acting on loneliness as a mechanism to get back into this toxic cycle? Because again, playing devil's advocate, I understand like you've got to let go. You've got to heal. You've got to get over it. And I've actually heard you also say time doesn't heal all wounds. No. So trying to get past it, trying to let go of the past, but sometimes in those moments where they're trying to hoover you back or love bomb you or you're, you're just missing them, would holding on to the negative serve you? Well, you know, it, it is a really important thing to remember. But in addition to that, I would say, like, remember how you felt in the relationship and remember how you felt in the moments when this person was gaslighting you, was lying, was manipulating you. Like, remember that. Don't forget the feeling. Oh, I love that. Um, I've heard you talk about not um, making sure that you don't pretend that you don't see the red flags. Mm-hmm. So in your relationship, once you started to find that out, um, can you go back and know that did you see red flags in him that you chose to ignore? Absolutely. So many. But I didn't choose to ignore them. I didn't know not to ignore them. However, There have been relationships thereafter that, you know, where there have been some red flags and I'm like, you know, but this person is like really cute. So I'm going to try and just (laughs) I'm going to try and stick it out and just maybe maybe that was just a one time incident. But I really wanted it to work out. Um, But eventually, of course, like, you know, I saw the pattern and I knew that I didn't want what I experienced back then. So there have been moments when, you know, I have made the choice to ignore the red flag. But in that incident, back when I was in my early 20s engaged, I really didn't know. And a lot of us don't. We just don't have the knowledge that this is something that is happening and can hurt us. Can I ask you then, um, in those moments though, you may not have had words to it, but seeing that he used money, to either give to his mom or not, depending on what he wanted. Wasn't that like a note in your head? It was like, huh, that's kind of a mean thing to do. Yeah, it was. You know, the thing about even circumstances like that was that when I would talk to him about it, he would actually say things that would convince me otherwise, right? Like, so I would actually think, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Like, because, of course, character assassination, right? Like, he would actually say, like, well, my mother is belligerent with money. And so I would think, oh, okay, well, it makes a lot of sense for her son to withdraw the money and make sure that she doesn't spend it all and blah, 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 right? And that's the thing is that all of those tactics come back. But when in retrospect, when I looked at it, I was like, you know what? I never seen her actually like be bad with money. And that was years. Like, well, for years, I think I would have at least spotted it one, right? Instead of, you know, not seeing it and so it it was in those moments when I was able to see that okay this person was actually creating an idea of his mother for me so that I would actually buy into this awful like manipulation that he was engaging in with her and going back now what would you do if that same situation arose how would you address it with him right now what I would do is I I would actually like tell him what I think about his approach with his mother and at least just to plant a seed. But I'm from my experience, personal and professional, it takes a lot 
for a person to actually come to an understanding that they can cause harm in this way, and they will rationalize their own behavior. So I can, if, if I am willing and if I really want this person to change, try and help them to see it and say, like, that's, that's not the way and that can actually hurt her. And it's manipulative or it's, it's toxic or it's, it's not kind at the very least. But if the person is unwilling to see that in themselves, then I'm speaking to air. It's just empty words. Mm. I've actually got a quote of yours. Is how many times are you willing to forgive the same thing? Yeah. And we have to really ask ourselves that honest question. Like if you see that there is a pattern, a pattern is two, maybe three, and you see that it's ongoing and that you're asking for change behavior and the change behavior is not happening, then how many times are you going to be willing to put yourself through the grief of that circumstance? You have to wonder, right? And you also have to wonder, like, do you believe that that is what you're worth? And do you believe that that is what you deserve? And if you don't, then you have to make a decision in reference to, to it, just to protect yourself and to, to care for yourself. I love that question so much. When I heard you say it, it really hit me because I thought, you forgive and you kind of move on. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, at least my experience with my husband being with him for 23 years, it's like you don't hold on. Once you forgive someone, you move on. Because if you are holding on to something over time, it can lead to resentment and contempt. So we have a rule. If you actually forgive me, then you forgive me and we move on. But if you've got that idea, idea or that notion in a relationship that can be toxic, then they can almost use it as a way of being like, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. And then you keep doing it. So having that question mm -hmm. is so beautiful. What other questions can we ask ourselves to really ground us in what's happening? Well, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what is the kind of relationship that I desire? Oftentimes we're just looking at the relationship that's in front of us and we're trying to make that relationship mm -hmm. fit. Right. And so you know, if we can actually step outside of that relationship and just like dream the dream, what is a relationship that you really desire for yourself? I desire a relationship where the person is able to hug me and and give me like these these beautiful like affirmations about how they see me. I want a relationship where a person is able to know like that sometimes I forget to fill the gas tank. And it's so wonderful when I can, you know, hop in my car and it's filled and I know that that's love. That's the, th these are the things that I desire in my relationship. And I see that they're not being reflected in the relationship that I have and that this person doesn't have the capacity to offer me those things. Mm -hmm. And then I, I need to, you know, wonder if this is a relationship for me. But it's, we, we have to step outside of the relationship that we have and, and really disconnect from it for a moment and identify the things that are like the, the beautiful things that we really desire, but also that we need for the long term. I love the little, the gas thing. That's <laughs> so sweet because it really does like show that it's that thoughtfulness. Yeah. Um, and that's, I guess, what that through line is, is mm -hmm. you want someone that's thoughtful. Yeah. Um, and it's so true about um, how we try to mold that person. And do you play poker? 
I don't. Oh, so there's this thing called like pot committed. Mm -hmm. So you basically, you put down money mm -hmm. and then you get another round and you put down more money. And then at, right at the end, you're like, well, I've put down this much money. I yeah. may as well keep putting down more money. Mm -hmm. People do that, I think, a lot in relationships where you're like, well, I've spent two years. Well, I've spent five years with them. And because you've spent so much time, you don't want to start from scratch. You don't want to start from square one. So you try to see if that person you're with, you can mold them into being the person that you want. Mm -hmm. And it's almost always not going to wind up that way. Um, people will change if they desire to change, if that is something that innately like grows out of them, but not because of anybody else, Mo most often than not, unless they love that person enough and they're like, you know what, things need to be different because I want a healthier partnership, but that still needs to come from them, right? Um, so it, it's gonna be really critical for us to like love the person that we have in front of us, and if we're able to say, like, this is a person that I can be with for the next 40 years as they are, and even if they change it, I can move in the direction of the change that they commit to for themselves, and that will still be a person that I love and desire, then I'm staying here, right? But not if you're, like, going into the relationship saying, well, this is the list of things that I actually want to change in this person so that they can actually, like fit the criteria, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, look for the criteria and look for somebody that fits at least most of your list and whatever it is that they don't have because of, they're going to be human, right? Like, you know, have some grace for that part. Mm, yeah, so true. Um, I noted to a little earlier, but I'd like to go a little deeper where you, you have said time doesn't heal all wounds. Mm -hmm. So how is that empowering? Well, time doesn't heal all wounds. It may create a separation from the wound, like help you to actually gain insight about the wound itself. But healing heals wounds. It's the work that you do. It's what the work that you put in. It's the tools that you utilize on a daily basis to be better, to grow, to, you know, feel more confident, to feel reconnected to people in ways that are healthy. It's in those experiences, in those healing practices that you're actually going to find the healing not in just letting time pass. Mm. And what is the harm in just letting the time pass then? Well, that you're going to replicate the cycles that you've been in. Um, I definitely have been that person. Like the, the cycles that I saw reflected in that relationship, I realized what, when I was in another relationship, I was like, oh, I'm being that person. Mm. I'm actually replicating that cycle but from the perspective of the empowered self, the person that is actually using those tactics that I knew would actually work to keep me safe and protected and in a position of power. And had I not actually gone back into myself and said, no, I need to heal this wound. This person hurt me and I need to find a way to heal that so that I don't inflict pain upon anyone else. They say hurt people hurt people, right? And so my hurt self was being reflected in a relationship that could have been really healthy, but it wasn't because I wasn't healed. So we need to work on the wounds so that we don't inflict that pain onto other relationships that we have. That's so powerful, so powerful. Um, we spoke about earlier about boundaries. Mm -hmm. So what are the boundaries that people can start to put in now, now they've heard everything and we've really broken it down, you've done such a beautiful job in that. Um, what are the boundaries now that we can set mm -hmm. in order to make sure that we don't fall for the same tricks, if you mm -hmm. will. Well, you know, there are boundaries that we can set and there are ways that we can set the boundaries. Mm, <laughs> <spirit>. <laughs> Take us down. Yes. So, you know, 
one boundary that's going to be really essential is not allowing the person to actually uh, diminish your value. Like tell you like, well, you aren't even that pretty anyways, right? Like not allowing a person to actually like say these things to you, not allowing them if if, you know, you don't like it when they curse directly at you, right? Like they can curse, but if not directly at you and then call you out of your name, then that should be a boundary that you you set and say like, this is not allowed in this relationship, right? And the actual how-to set the boundary is going to be like really critical in those moments because you're going to have to be firm. You're going to have to use firm language. You're going to have to use firm body posture and like really stand up and like say like, I'm confident in saying this. It's not asked to intimidate, it's to just say, I'm confident in what I'm saying. I believe that this boundary is something that I need in my life and I need in this relationship and I'm setting it and I'm holding on to it, right? And so it's like, it's gentle, but it's firm. Mm. It's also going to be really essential to be specific about the boundary and to say exactly what you desire the behavior to be and not get like too heady or wordy about what you desire this person to do. I desire for you to speak to me with respect and like a fellow human and and not be unkind in the moments when you feel like you're angry, right? It's firm, it's direct, it's specific. And it's also not going into a full paragraph about what you desire this person to do. So you want to also be firm, be specific, but you want to use as little words as possible to just get the message across. And just see how that person responds to the boundary setting. What's the detriment to over-explaining? Well, that they can actually use any of the words that you're saying to then create more manipulation. Mm. So the more steady that you are in, in just saying exactly what you desire and not going on a tangent and like, you know, speaking like for five minutes, then it 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 actually helps you to not be vulnerable to more manipulation tactics and them actually taking your words and using them against you. Mm, that's beautiful. What other boundaries can we set? That was such a great break. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, so other boundaries are, you know, uh, not allowing for there to be any kind of abuse uh, in the relationship. So saying like, you can't, um, you can't abuse me in, in, by way of gaslighting, you can't, you know, like uh, use your your body to physically intimidate me. Like all of those are going to be really important to say head on. Like very often we talk about abuse in retrospect. Like we don't, we, we basically say like um, that, that happened, um, that happened to me, right? Versus this is something that cannot happen in this relationship. Like really like getting ahead of it, um, it's going to be really critical. So that's another, you know, an, another boundary that's going to be really essential for anybody that's in a relationship where they feel like this person has propensities, if you want to stay, right? Um, it's going to be really critical to say something like that. That's going to be firm. If you could take a time machine and mm-hmm. go back to when you first met your ex, what boundaries would you have set with him? Wow. I, I love this question. <laughs> What boundaries? Um, I believe that I allowed this person to come into my life too soon, too quick. Mm. And he moved in within the year, almost not even a year. And He moved in with you? With me. Would you change that? Absolutely. Oh, you would. 100%. I would have 
studied the person more. I would have gotten to know him more. I would have been in more family gatherings and seen the interactions between himself and his mother more. I would have gathered data is what I call it. So I would have gotten a sense of who this person is in a, in a more profound way before allowing them into the intimacy of my home. Because my home is like my oasis. It's my safe haven. And so I allowed someone into my home that I didn't really study very well or know had these like really toxic characteristics and allowed that to be a part of now my home environment. So I would have completely set that boundary. Would it have been different if you guys had moved in together in a different place or you moved in with him? I don't think so because it it was a personality thing. But the thing about some people, you know, with these kinds of personality characteristics is that they may have a moment where they're basically showing you their best side, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so I think I I got a lot of that. And it made it so that even the moments when I saw little things that were like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about this. I was able to like just brush those over the under the rug because I felt like this person overall feels good to me. Um, but then when he entered my home, I think he just like really became him, his, his real self. Um, Matthew Hussey I had on the show. Mm. Um, and I remember him saying that not once has anyone said, I'm so glad I moved in quicker. You mm. know, like yeah. it's like take your time yeah. because then you do get to see if you're actually compatible and if they're right for you versus, you know, trying to rush into it if you're going to spend the rest of your life with somebody, then mm-hmm. why have the rush? And so that always hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, what other boundaries would you have set? I would have actually not been so entangled in his family life, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that there was a lot of like, because this is also, you know, it, it just now I see it all, right? Triangulation and like really kind of like bringing me in as that third party and in, in like family conflict. Like, I think that these were like things that I would have said, like, I'm I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to be that person in between yourself and your mother or in between yourself and any other family member. I can hold space for you and, you know, maybe like affirm you whenever you feel like these relationships don't feel t- too good for you. But I can't be that person that's actually like creating some sort of a buffer uh, between the anger that you have for her and vice versa. So I think things like that would have been like probably really healthy for me. Um, and and again, like sometimes I feel like uh, I look back at her at like 20 something year old Marielle and I think uh, I wish you had me, the 38 year old version to say to you, watch out or you're going to be okay, or this may not be the person for you. I wish I had, you know, that that insight, that wisdom that I hold now to say this person is manipulative or narcissistic and they're just going to cause you a lot of drama and chaos in your life. And I don't want that for you. And so that's why, like, now I embody this, you know, like, the the psychologist version of me, but also just the friend and the sister and the everything that speaks to these things because I I wish that I had this person to tell me like don't go in there it's not safe it's not good for you and it's going to leave wounds that you're going to have to work on for years oh god how do you break or not even break how do you um work through that because having gone through it yourself mm-hmm. and then being a psychologist you've put all the pieces together and now you know and it's like oh my god I'm never going to go back there you've learned all the lessons 
is there a way to um, help people before they even get there? Because I think a lot of people that are probably watching this episode right now mm -hmm. have already been in that relationship and that's why they've even clicked on this video. Yeah. Um, and so I'm always trying to think, how do you get people before they have to go through the heartbreak, before they have to go through the two years of you know mourning and really getting over that toxic relationship? Well, my hope truly, like if I were like to dream the dream is for these very conversations and the knowledge inside of these conversations to be in um, in the school systems. Mm -hmm. Like why are girls, why are boys, why are, you know, like um, all kinds of children like not learning what this is. One, so that they don't become victimized by people that have these qualities. And two, so that they don't become the perpetrators themselves. Like some people just aren't aware that this is not the way to have healthy relationships and they start becoming these people. But if they actually have the knowledge of the fact that this can be hurtful for everybody involved, then they may not actually like engage in those kinds of manipulative tactics. Wow, that really hit me really hard. Mm. That's actually so true in being able to educate so they don't become. And how much of your book, Break the Cycle, how much of that comes from the cycle from the family exactly. and what they've seen growing up. Exactly. But l think about the power that we have inside of the educational system and even like community-based um, programs that kids are a part of where they can be informed about these things just as much as they are like in their health class. Mm -hmm. Like this should be also a part of the conversation and they can actually decide to not keep that cycle going when they enter their adult life. What does it look like to then look at the cycle that you've been brought up into? Well, it, it looks a little bit more detached, right? Because you're able to actually kind of like zoom out of it and really see your family for who they truly are. The individuals that, you know, are reflective of a lot of deep wounds and still love them, right? Like if you wish to love them, but also decide that you're not going to be like them. Decide that the ways in which they, you know, were perpetually like in a state of anger like that's not going to be your life so whenever we offer people the opportunity to zoom out and say wow these dynamics hurt everybody involved I don't want that for me I don't want that for the next generation I have to do something to change this then it offers us an opportunity to actually take ourselves out of that cycle and like become the people the cycle breakers that then have a different life than the one that we grew up seeing. And even people that are listening right now, if they've got kids to think about the the fact that their kids are watching them mm -hmm. and then their cycle that they're going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because a lot of the cycles that we engage in in relationships are reflective of the modeled behavior of the adults in our lives when we were kids. So when we see the adults in our lives like um, lash out at each other because there's, there isn't enough money for the rent. And that's the way that they respond to, you know, having this like need for money. Then that's the way that we're going to start responding to our significant others around money problems. And there is another way. But if we are not aware of the fact that this was learned behavior, this was only one way to manage the financial issues that can surface in a home. And it is an unhealthy way when we can actually detach from it and look at it in a very kind of a objective way, it allows us an opportunity to then make a choice. Mm. You've mentioned money a couple of times, actually. How much of that is a very um, strong manipulation tactic that people use? It is uh, an, um, one of the 
most common tactics that people tend to use around uh, partners that actually don't have either as much money or depend on them for all of the money. Like if someone is, you know, a stay-at-home mm. parent, right? Then the money supply is going to come from one person in that family, in that household. And so it's going to be really, really hard for them to feel like they can be independent from this person and actually um, detach from them and still live probably the same type of lifestyle that they've been living. So it makes the process a lot harder. So money is always like a, a key factor. And it's also a key factor in a lot of broken relationships. How do you then work past that? And then I would also assume that would um, same apply if you're in a partnership or like a parent. If you're, you know, um, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, well, my, my parents were going to, you know, help me get through college, but only if I studied X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, there's so many different ways in which like money problems can develop in a family unit. I mean, I think the the gold standard would be to like have your own way of like making the money and then you wouldn't have to depend on somebody else. But in reality, like many of us just have that dependency, like with children, as you mentioned. So in part, what what's going to be really critical is for us to at least map out a plan as to how we can become more financially independent. And if we are already financially independent, identify what we're willing to um, integrate into the, the actual relationship, like how much of that money we're willing to like bring into the relationship and how much of it is going to be a safety net for us. Mm, yeah, because the second you're talking about like a roof over your head and food mm -hmm. to eat, like that, that shit becomes real, real fast. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, it... it, it all depending on like, you know, what people's money situations are. But I, but the thing about money manipulation is that often what happens is that the manipulator is trying to extract whatever money you have because that is a source of power. So if you have money, you have one of the power sources that they do not wish for you to have because you can extract from them more easily. And if they can, like I said, cut the supply, right? Like it, it makes it so that they're able to then um, have at least like power over you in that area of life. Mm, God, that's so true. And so you've got the money power. You've got the power of your friends around you who may be saying, hey, mm -hmm. it's a little like toxic. Um, what other power supplies are they trying to cut from you? Usually family is a big one. Um, there are family members that tend to say like, you know, this person like, used to be around and all the family functions and now we barely see them. We sometimes can't even connect with them. Um, and so like, that's gonna be really critical. Sometimes even at work, like they may say like things about your coworkers. Um, whenever you like bring stories home about the workplace, like they'll say things to isolate you from your coworkers so that you don't have a, a solid foundation and relationships inside the workplace either. Like it's literally in every, every area of life. Mm. So it's money, looks like it's people around you no matter where you are. Um, and confidence, I would assume, is something they definitely trying to take your power of. Yeah, and that's probably the trickiest one because when a person is able to pummel your self-esteem down to the ground, it makes it so that you feel like you are of no worth or value and you almost start believing that you are so lucky to have this person that can love you when you're such a shitty person. You've left me speechless with that one girl. Mm -hmm. Holy smoke. 
I the, the amount of wisdom that you can give and have given is so beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people follow you and find your book? Thank you. Thank you for having me. And drmarielbouquet.com is where people can find me and the book. And at Dr. Mariel Bouquet on all the social 